Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfruta el mensaje. All right. So this morning, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I have been fighting a cold myself, thankfully. I, don't, I do not have COVID. I never had COVID. Um, I'm thankful for that. I've just been fighting a cold these last couple of days. Um, so I may sound a little congested. I may have a little bit of an issue breathing properly, but we're going to get through this together. I'm thankful for good health. I'm thankful that God has allowed us to be here this morning. And we pray in this moment for all those that are struggling with sickness that have been that have tested positive for COVID or that have just been dealing with other illnesses right now in Jesus' name. We just extend a hand of faith and a prayer of faith of speedy recovery, of restoration of all the senses, of all the taste buds and smelling receptors, that everything that COVID is supposedly affecting right now in Jesus' name, we ask for full healing, God, for a speedy recovery. To all those that have been affected by this, Lord, we pray that their health will be restored to 100%. That their antibodies will be able to grow and be strong and their immune system will come out stronger because of it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, This is definitely a good morning. We all know that Every morning should be a good morning. Why? Because we wake up. And if you're watching this morning through that camera, I want you to say with me, today is a good day. Declare it from the beginning. Declare that this is a good day because this is the day the Lord has made. So we will rejoice and be glad in it together as we go through this section of Scripture as a church and as a congregation. And I want to continue um, a message that I started a couple of weeks ago called The Strategies of Satan. This will be the second part. Um, yeah, as I was just meditating, um, the first time around that, that I did this message, the first part, we only went into four sections out of seven. Um, and like I had mentioned, these four parts of the strategies of Satan could obviously be expanded and you can go in deeper, but I was led to just continue in the main categories of them. And just to kind of reiterate last time, the, these first four strategies that the devil uses are as follows. The, the devil's first strategy is for you as the believer to completely miss him, to not even recognize that it's him talking to you, acting with you, befriending you, because he uses different methods to disguise himself rather than just appearing as the devil. The second strategy of the devil is that he tries to make you believe that God is withholding from you or he's holding out on you when, he's, when he promises or when he says he's actually not being full or honest with you, he's, he's just simply wanting to restrict you because he is a tyrannical being, and that's what the devil wants to convince you of. 
The third strategy of the devil is to make you believe that what God says is untrustworthy. That what the Bible says about you is actually not true. And the devil actively works on his ability to deceive and to make you believe that what he has said is in fact untrue. And the fourth strategy of the devil is to position you in the place of God. He wants you to believe that you can be like God and he will always try to promote you over God and that's how we are able to recognize that that is indeed of the devil. And this morning we're, we're going to get into three new strategies that we need to know how to plan against and how to defeat Because remember, church, the enemy is watching you. Just as you're watching me through this camera right now, the enemy is watching you. And everything you do, he studies. Everything you say, he remembers. Everything you think, he is actively recording everything because he has film on you. He watches you. He looks for the areas in which he can trap you in and therefore build a case against you. So we have to be very astute. We have to be crafty like Christ was in his dealings with the enemy. The devil does not stop his prowling and his hunting. He knows that his days are numbered and he is so relentless in his pursuit of eradicating faith in this world. He is so desperate and hungry to destroy what me and you call faith, that he is on over, overtime. He is working overtime. And it's really interesting that I have found that if you confess or if you make confessions of faith, you are automatically greeted with hostility. It is no longer socially acceptable to express your faith in public as long as it's about God. If it's not about God, if you're expressing your faith into any other religion or God, Islam or Buddhism or Allah or even Satanism, if you express your faith as long as it's not about the real living God, then you're accepted. You are socially accepted when you express your faith in the false gods or idols. But when you express your faith in Christ and in God, you're automatically met with hostility. While confessions of belief in the satanic cause acceptance of beliefs. We're living in a society where if you believe in God, you are in fact wrong. You're brainwashed. You're crazy. But if you say that you are a Muslim, a Buddhist, you believe in in, uh, the new religion, forget the uh, name, but it deals with crystals and healing auras and cleansing energies, which is basically just new ageism, even progressive Christianity falls into the satanic. All of those are greeted with acceptance, tolerance. Funny how the enemy flips tables. But have you noticed, church, have you noticed what is really happening behind the scenes? Have you noticed that what was once a minority is actually now 
ruling and moving with the authority of a majority? I was researching how these trends in society are moving um, as the LGBTQ community continues to just destroy any sense of innocence, both mentally and emotionally. And I was heartbroken to find that now, in Generation Z, if you are from the Generation Z um, generation, it is said that one in every six people identify as an LGBTQ person. One in six. And they're, they're going to place on the screen a chart. Um, and this chart deals with Americans that self-identify as LGB, LGBTQ by generation. You'll, you'll see that if you were born before 1946, you're labeled as a traditionalist, which 1.3% of that generation identifies. So 89.9% is labeled as straight or heterosexual. And you'll notice as, you know, the baby boomers and then Generation X and then the millennials, and then you hit Generation Z. What is astonishing to me is that as the generations begin to unfold, the percentage begins to increase. And if you look at Generation Z, which is the children that we have today, 15.9% identify in, in the LGBTQ community, while 78.9% identify as straight or heterosexual, that 15% controls what the other 78% does. That 15% from that, just from that generation controls what society now deems as normal. What, what was a minority now is functioning with the force of a majority and it's poisoning our schools, our education system, our parenting systems. The, 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 the nucleus of the family is being threatened by something that should have been a minority. The enemy is using it to run over what me and you call holiness, family. Because now it's, not, it's no longer socially acceptable to identify as a straight person. If you identify as a heterosexual person, you are labeled as, well, you actually just don't know yet. They don't even allow you to classify yourself. They can classify themselves all they want as long as it's not dealing with with what aligns to God, which is heterosexualism. That's the society that we live in today. That is where we are living in today. And allow me to remind you, church, allow me to put this thought back into your mind just in case you're forgetting what is happening when you send your kids to school, when you, when, when you can finally get rid of your kids, that that since you've had them for the last 18, 19 months. The devil is after your children. 
That is his plan. That is his goal. That is his strategy. Whether your child is unborn or born, the devil wants your child. And he doesn't ask. He doesn't try to butter you up. He will do everything in his power to steal them from you. And it's one thing, because you may say, well, don't, you know, I'm not worried. I'm strong in my faith. I'm good. You know, I have a good biblical foundation. I have a great relationship with God. Yeah, but so did David. You all know King David? God's chosen. And what happened with Absalom? Just because you are in a position in which you deem yourself good with God, it doesn't mean the enemy is not able to catch your children. Often we get so complacent with our relationship and where we are that we neglect how our kids are with their creator. We think it's, it's good enough for us to be okay. No. Because again, if the devil can't get to you, he will get to your children. And he doesn't play clean. He doesn't play fair. He will hit you to the ground and keep you to ensure that your lineage and your generation, my lineage and my generation, never recover. You think that all of this news about now COVID affecting children is a coincidence? What happened six months ago? COVID didn't affect children. As soon as now we're, that we're transitioning back to a little bit of normalcy, allowing our kids to go back to school freely and maskless, now all of a sudden COVID is attack, attacking kids. Now we have to vaccinate our children because COVID is now able to go after them. Well, the Delta variant. Church, we have to wake up. We have to be able to identify what the enemy is doing. The target is our children. The target is the generation to come that will bring in the new era of faith. Because if you can eradicate faith in the children, then who's going to bring up faith when they're older? Who is going to teach the generation after them? You and I, we can pretty much say that we're set in our ways, that we're okay. So the enemy is targeting those that are still learning, that are still developing, that are under our care. And if we don't do our jobs, we will allow the enemy to be successful. Oh, you guys thought that it was going to be a simple morning today? No, 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 no. Simplicity went out the window the moment that the devil threatened our children. Simplicity is no longer about coming or listening to a message, whether full of people or to one camera. Simplicity has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with the devil making you believe that you're okay. But I'm here to remind you that you're not okay. We're not finished. The work is just getting started, and I'm going to show you how. Kids are being targeted by the gay community in the name of inclusion, in the, in the name of social tolerance. Tolerance. The left 
teaches tolerance so long as it's not about God. They can't tolerate the truth. God is fullness of truth. And because God is fullness of truth, the, the, the satanic agenda cannot allow tolerance towards something that is threatening them or their existence. So they teach tolerance leaning towards the satanic, never leaning towards the holiness. If you teach your kids to not accept the gay lifestyle, you are labeled as a bad parent. If you teach your kids that only women can breastfeed, then you are a bigot and you are an active hate speech person. If you teach kids that basic biology is actually wrong, then you are ignorant. If you teach your children that marriage is between men and women, then you are the issue. That is our normal in society today. That is what society says is acceptable. That's what the devil says is good and what God says is wrong. That is how twisted we are living today, church. And it is my goal to continue to expose the enemy in his tactics against the church. And again, I want to thank all of you that have tuned in, whether you're from our local church or you're watching um, from a different part of the world. We'd love to know where you're watching from. We'd, we'd, we'd love to be able to know where you, you found us and we hope, I hope that this word blesses you today. Anything that looks and sounds like God is now labeled as hate, brainwashing, old-fashioned, and even fake. While everything else is accepted in the name of inclusion. Don't allow the word inclusivity or inclusion to make you believe that it's in the name of unity. The devil has no, no stake in unifying anybody. When the devil calls for unity, it's the biggest indicator of segregation. Because remember, the enemy is completely backwards. The enemy can't unify you towards God. He can only separate you. So that's his goal. He, he, he brings in terms like racial unity and inclusion to make you feel good about yourself, but the moment that it presents itself as a choice, you end up further and further away from God because you were deceived. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna rip off that seal today. And I'm 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 going to continue in the numbers of the strategies. In part one, we left off at strategy number four. So I'm gonna continue starting off with the fifth strategy of Satan. And it is this, the fifth strategy of the devil is to convince you that he is correct. I, w- I want you to go with me into the book of Genesis, chapter 3. That is where we were reading off. We mentioned how the enemy was speaking with Eve. He, he, he goes to the woman, and the woman does not freak out that there's a talking snake in the garden. 
as we mentioned, all the other animals did not speak, but this serpent did, and that didn't surprise her. So just remember, church, when you see something that should not be, raise your spiritual awareness. But you can go back and watch that first part on our YouTube channel, Gente Con Propósito, if you haven't already done so. So the fifth strategy of the devil is to convince you that he is correct. He wants you to believe. He needs to convince you that he's actually in the right and God is in the wrong. And how does he do this? Notice what happens, verse 5. Verse 5 of chapter 3 says, For God knows that in the day that you eat it, meaning from the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And what does verse 6 say? In the New Living Translation, it says, And she was convinced. In the New American Standard, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took fruit from its fruit and ate it, and also gave it to her husband. It's interesting how these two versions, they may seem like they're saying different things, but I like how the Living Translation starts off verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. In other words, in this rhetoric between the devil and the woman, the woman lost. She lost the argument. She was not able to withstand the devil's deception. And we are talking about a person that only knew the goodness of God. There was no wrath of God at the time because there was no need for wrath. There was no sense of shame because the Bible says that they saw themselves naked and felt, or they were naked and felt no shame. Meaning there was nothing that could separate them from God. Therefore, there was no need for shame, for guilt. Despite having all of that in her corner, the devil still was able to deceive her out of what she was rightfully in possession of. She allowed the deception of the devil to become her truth. So she was convinced. The woman, notice, had not acted. She had not done anything until that moment. So as they're having this dialogue, as they're exchanging words, as they're arguing, the woman is simply there, answering, talking, thinking. And in that process is how the deception completely overcame her. She acted until she was convinced. How many people have been convinced that living in seclusion or in fear for the last 19 months is the right thing to do? How many people have been convinced that surrendering to a lawless government is the Romans 13 thing to do? How many people have been convinced that God is actually not in control of your life? You are actually in control of your own life. 
just this week, I, um, I sent a, an, an image to our leadership here uh, of this tweet from what's called the New Evangelicals. And it says this, Don't tell me you'll do anything for the gospel when you won't even wear a mask. I was baffled when I read it. So now the new evangelicals are saying that wearing a mask is now somehow biblically related to doing things for the gospel. So now we have to, if in, in, in their ideology of faith, we have to check and see if Christ, because Christ never wore a mask. Therefore, Christ was not willing to do anything for the gospel? Baloney. Absolute baloney. When we start to measure our own level of morality against what the Bible says is truth, that is how we know our society is completely lost. You can read all through Scripture, and there is never an indication that submitting to a lawless government is right before God. Because if so, if, if we are called to a Romans 13 full submission of government without question, therefore Daniel and his friends were rebels and therefore were like the devil. But that's not what we read in Scripture. Those three Hebrew boys that defied the Babylonian king's order. King Nebuchadnezzar said, you will bow down and worship the idol. They were the only ones who didn't. So based on the standards of the new evangelicals, they were rebellious and therefore weren't and are not deserving of salvation? Is that how we're standardizing salvation now? On our own levels of human morality? On our own levels of Human compassion? Be very mindful, church, on where you are deciding to draw a line. If you are the type of person that believes that wearing a mask is tied to loving your neighbor, I have good and bad news for you. The good news is you've been deceived. How is that the good news? Because I just told you. So now you know where you're standing. The bad news is you have to come into a position where you surrender to be able to see the truth. And I don't want to spend too much time on that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. But there are so many people that have just been convinced that they are convinced and they are living a lie. They are under the belief that their life is actually in the right when the Satan has completely flipped upside down their world and they're living in full deception. The Bible says that the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Let's read, read verse 6 again, chapter 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was desirable. Three things happened in that moment. And let's, let's, uh, let's break down these three things. I think it's fascinating. I want you guys to know <laughs> that the tree was always good for food. When it was, it was, it, 
if a tree has fruit, it's good for food. I have a tree in my backyard. It's a peach tree. And when I learn how to take care of a peach tree, I will be able to eat from its fruit. Right now, because it's producing no fruit, the fruit is not good. What it produces, it's not edible. But God's tree was perfection. It was already good for food. God had simply restricted them from eating it. It wasn't that God made bad fruit. No, he made all things good, as the Bible says. He saw it good. And I'm, I was so taken back to our pastor's message last week about though it was seen as good, it doesn't mean it was blessed. God is so amazing in, in his creativity. I mean, that's just fascinating to to see something as good but not bless it, but then to actually evidently see, you know, the difference between seeing good and being blessed, amazing. If you haven't watched that sermon, you definitely got to watch it because it's, it's something. It's something. You still with me, church? Awesome. So we see that God made the tree and the fruit of the tree was good. The woman, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Satan just needed to convince the woman that it was good to eat. Because the woman had lived walking through that, passing that tree. Whenever she was out there vacuuming and sweeping, the tree was there. Whenever they were working or doing whatever they were doing in Eden, the tree was there. The tree never left the scenario. The tree was always there. Why was it never desirable or why did she never notice before? That is what happens when we enter conversations of deception. We start to notice things that we should not even be looking at. I never noticed the way that she pays attention to me. Hmm. I never noticed that you know, he looks at me in this certain way. I never notice how they make me feel. The moment we start entering what we should not be noticing for a reason is the moment that we are dangerously walking with deception. And the woman saw that the tree was good. The devil helped Eve see the tree through his eyes. Before Eve would see the tree with God vision, because God set the commandment, therefore she knew what she could do and what she could not do. So she knew the difference between eating from that tree and eating from any other tree. So she knew the difference. The devil needed her to see that tree the way he saw it. So he was astute in his questioning. He was astute in how he approached her in such a manner that she began to forget how she saw it with God's vision and she entered through the devil's vision. Because notice before, now the woman saw that it was good for food. It was always good for food. But now she saw it as good for food. What's the difference, Pastor? The difference is the access. Before, yeah, it was good for food, but 
she knew she had no access. Now she saw that it was good, and she saw that she could have access. She was convinced that the tree was actually an option when before she knew, no, you shall not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was a commandment. That was what God said. Before it wasn't an option, the devil convinced her, it's actually an option. Did God really say? God knows if you do it, you'll be like him. So she began to see it through his eyes. And some of us, church, just to kind of shake you up this morning, some of us are out there walking around with devil vision. We're looking at things, we're looking at people, we're looking at situations, we're looking at our circumstances through the eyes of the devil. And yes, it looks bad. Or it looks desirable. Notice how the enemy feeds Eve in this, how, how he strings her along. The first area that Eve was struck in was in her flesh was in her appetite because she saw that it was good for food. Verse 6 says, and that it was a delight to the eyes. In other words, she noticed something particular about the fruit. My question continues to be, I thought she had already seen this tree before. The answer is yes. She lived in Eden with the tree. She had always seen it. So what was the difference now? Through the lens in which she's observing this tree now. So now she's wanting to eat. Now she's wanting to, to, to see it. She sees it differently now because it's a delight to her eyes. And then the enemy strikes her in her emotions. That the tree was desirable. First, it became an option, something that she could eat. Then it became an attraction. It was delightful to her eyes. And then it became her desire. She was convinced. She made the decision. Remember how I told you last time, the devil cannot make you sin. The devil cannot force you to do things against God. He can only convince you that you want to do it. The moment something becomes desirable and the moment we see it as an option is the moment that we have been convinced and we are deceived. Think back. I can think back so many times in my, in my young days as a young boy in my addictions to pornography, to masturbation, to lust, and to deception. I was a, addicted to deception. That's why I was able to, to get away with it for so long. It took God to find me out. No other person could have ever dis, um, exposed me because I was sneaky. I was very crafty in my deception because I was convinced that if I don't love myself and if I don't auto-gratify myself, no one would love me. No one would accept me. Do you, did, did your father really say he loved you? Then why did he spank you? Did your mother really say she loved you? Then why did she not want you when you were born? All of those little phrasings led me into my deception. 
I took the choices. I was the one that would go to the computer, type in those magical words, and do the action. All the enemy had to do was convince me. And he did. And he had me. But I love that he used to have me, and now God has me. But deception, deception is a very slippery slope. Deception is the element that makes you only see the good. Deception will never show you the real picture. It will never show you the real deal. Let, let, me, let me break this down for you. Deception is making you only see the good part. Because didn't God tell man and woman that if they ate from it, they would die? Funny how we read scripture. And, let, and let's, let's go back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 16 says this of Genesis. The Lord commanded the man saying, now we know man meaning mankind, not just male but also male and female, just to make sure that we really understand all this, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So they had already heard the consequences. So they knew, they knew what would happen if they did it. Deception says this, verse 4 of chapter 3. Because the woman says, if we eat from it or touch it, we will die. So the serpent says, you surely will not die. And in that phrasing, she was convinced. Oh, so the, so, so the devil, so you snake, you're correct. She was convinced. The devil didn't allow her to focus on the negative, only on the positive. Because what does verse 5 said? For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, in the day that you actually sin, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. In other words, if you do it, it's going to feel good. If you do it, you're, you're going to be good. If you do it, everything's going to be fine. He never ever focuses on the death part. Only focuses on how it's going to make you feel good. Deception will not focus on the negative. The fruit was the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil left out the part of them actually dying. He said that's not true. He was con he convinced her that he was right and God was wrong. Deception leads you into a mindset of pleasure without consequence. When you want to experience pleasure, and it's not limited to sexual pleasure, we all have pleasures in different areas, intellectual pleasure, emotional pleasure, financial pleasure, physical pleasure. Pleasure is a massive, massive bubble that can be filled with so many things. A lot of things give us pleasure. Just last night, I was with my wife and Oliver, and Oliver was giggling and laughing, and that brought me pleasure. To hear him laugh and giggle brought me pleasure. It brought me happiness. But we often are deceived and we want the pleasure without the consequence. Deception will make you believe that you are actually okay. 
Because notice how this works. If you, if you were to stand before God and God told you, okay, just, just to use Vicente here because he's here with me. Vicente stands with God and God says, all right, I want you to look at your life. If you make that choice right now to, to leave your wife, I want you to look what the outcome is going to be. So Vicente would say, okay, well, show me. And he sees that his life would be a mess. He'd be in depression, addicted to drugs, horribly in debt, by himself, in prison. You think he would make that choice? No. But see, there's no way for us to see the outcomes of our choices. So what the devil does is he goes up to Vicente and says, Hey, man, look, there's another woman for you. She's younger. She doesn't stay out until one in the morning with her friends. You know, hey, hey, I mean, hey, you can try it out. No one's going to know. You've, you've done so much for her already. You've given her four kids. You've given her a house. She doesn't have to work. Come on. It's okay to have a little fun. And he's actively trying to deceive him, showing him the good part. Never showing him that at the end of that choice to, dis, to, to leave his wife, he, he ends up losing everything. That's what, the, that's what the devil does. He manipulates you into believing that just do it. You're not, no one's going to know. No one's going to find out. Besides, you deserve it. You deserve it. God actually doesn't want you to enjoy it, but you deserve it. Anyone ever heard the enemy talk to them like that? Or you didn't think or you didn't know that it was the enemy? You know how sometimes we tell ourselves, but I, I deserve this. I, I, I want it. I deserve it. I need it. Sometimes we're, we're the voice of the devil to ourselves. Rather than listening and ensuring that we're not talking to a snake. Because again, snakes should not speak. We are living in days where what once where what we once trusted to receive information is now actively working in deception. I never understood why my dad would watch the news. Every morning when I would wake up, get ready for school, my dad would have the news on. I never really understood it. But as time pro progressed, I understood why, because he would always be informed of current events, situations in the world, the weather, all of these different things. But now, you watch the news and you don't know what, you're, what to believe anymore. You watch the news and the whole world is falling apart. You watch the news and the world is about to end. But I thought that with this new president, things would get better just goes to show you how openly the enemy is actively working in deception. He brings this sweet-looking old man to, to be the savior of America, the savior of the soul of America, because this man over here tweets mean things, makes me feel bad. Sometimes we should feel bad about ourselves. That allows us to see reflection. We're living in days where the devil is just running 
free because society wants it that way. Society no longer wants to feel accountable, so they push from God because God makes us feel accountable. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you, and you know God as your Father, you know the accountability within you. That even when you want to, you know, take out your phone and do that thing or make that call or take that choice, something within you tugs and says, uh-uh, that, that's accountability. Society doesn't like accountability. Society wants to be able to run wild, do whatever it wants, and feel no shame. But if you dare bring truth and accountability into the equation, you are now the odd factor. You are now the problem. You are now the reason why all of this is happening. The government says that slavery is bad, but they're actively working to segregate the world. If, if you haven't noticed, it's no longer about black and white. They, they realized that that was never going to work again because they had more people of color acting and rising against CRT and Black Lives Matter. They, they realized there was a lot more conservative black people, people of color, than there were leftists. So they realized, okay, no longer black versus white. Now we're, now we're, we're going to do those that love the world versus those that hate the world. Vaccinated versus unvaccinated. It's modern segregation. If you haven't noticed, notice today. New York, sorry, no, San Francisco has now mandated if you want to go and eat at a restaurant, go to a gym, go buy groceries, you have to show proof of your vaccination. Fully vaccinated. What if you're not vaccinated? I thought this was America, land of the free. Not anymore. Not anymore. We as believers need to learn to live in a place where no matter how many people are trying to deceive us or to make us feel guilty about loving our neighbor, we stand true to ourselves. Now, I'm not here to uh, tell you don't get vaccinated or get it, wear a mask or don't. Personally, I don't. On, on, on either of those arguments. I don't believe that the vaccine is needed. And I don't believe a mask is needed. But at the end of the day, we all make our own choices. But I always like to reference those three Hebrew boys that said no. And look where it got them. And that's, that's as much as I'll say. And there's people, and I, I hear it all the time, pe people saying, Kevin, if God is so good and powerful, then you know, why did he allow COVID? If God is so good and powerful, why is he allowing children to get COVID and die? Why is he allowing cancer in children? Why? And all these why, 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 why? And I'm thinking, I don't always have the answer to everything. I'd, I'd rather not know an answer than to misrepresent God. Now, we should be astute and wise if we are in relationship with God, but there are some answers that only the sovereignty of God can answer in their timing. You ask me why, you know, why COVID? Why can't God stop COVID? Well, I believe God gave man free will for a reason. Man can do as he pleases. Man can decide to commit massive genocide. Why, did, why didn't God stop the Holocaust? 
his own people? There, there are many questions, but my questions don't bring me to a position of doubt. My questions bring me to a position of recognizing sovereignty. I don't doubt God's ability as why he can't do things. The Bible tells me that no plan of God can be stopped. And that's where I find peace. Yeah, sure, COVID is running. COVID's a real issue, sure. But the end of this book tells me more comforting things than COVID-19. We as believers need to learn how to live in a place where no matter how many whys come against us, we are firm on our stands with our because. When you are hit with the why, you have to know, well, it's because. I may not know why God allowed these events to happen, but what I do know is that he is greater and more mighty than any event, than any virus, than any turmoil, than any problem. I may not know or have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And there's a difference in me questioning him than me seeking answers. Seek answers. Seek and the, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But the process of finding out the, these whys rests in your ability to seek. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on because I want to make sure I finish. The sixth strategy of, of the devil that he has and that he uses actively is to place you in a mindset of success while living in failure. Genesis 3 this is what happens. Verse 22. After the woman falls, the woman gives the fruit to the husband, to Adam, and he eats without even questioning what was happening. Then God is looking for them. God asks them, where are you? They hide. They sow the fig trees because they realize that they're, you know, naked. Then God goes through the consequences of their decision and this is what happens. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And this is what the enemy desires. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden, to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. In verse 24 is the kicker. So he drove the man out. And as the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve lost their position in the garden. The devil's goal is to make what happened to him happen to you. He was successful with Adam and Eve. How do we know that? Because they were driven out by God from the garden. Eve was created for the creation of God. Eve was destined to be where Adam and Eve would abide to be fruitful and multiply and govern, successfully govern. But the choice of the woman to be convinced that the serpent was actually telling the truth and not God cost them their spot in Eden. The devil wants to place you in the mindset that you're actually living in success. 
while you're actually living in failure. The devil's mission is to have you be removed from God's atmosphere through the avenue of sin. He will always position you in in a choice. The devil will always arrive and make you, try to force you into a choice. And we're going to see how that works out in, in the next coming minutes. If the enemy can convince you that you can be like God, then the enemy can place you under his paternity. Remember, Satan is known as the father of lies. The father of lies therefore has children. Children replicate who their father is. Jesus called out the Pharisees and told them, you sons of the devil. Because Jesus knew he was able to identify who their father was. It was not Abraham as they proudly confessed. It was the devil. They, the Pharisees were actively living a life of success, but they were actually living in failure. What does it mean to be like God? Why did the serpent tell the woman? And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Why is that so important? To be like God means to be fully independent. And oh, do we love our independence, right? Teenagers, all they want to do is to be able to be independent. They want to be able to take the car wherever they want. They want to be able to go and stay out as long as they want. When I was a teenager, I wanted to do so many things, but I was never allowed to out of protection never out of harm. It took me years to understand. There was this one, it was my high school graduation. All of my friends, it was a Saturday night, uh, and our high school had rented out this, uh, this um, it was like a, a rec center. There was basketball courts, soccer courts, there was a gym, there was a pool, and they, they rented it out for the entire senior class to stay overnight. There was going to be games and food and just amazing. I think Danny went. Oh, Danny didn't go. Sorry, Danny. You're like me then. Well, some of my friends that were in the church went. And I remember asking my dad, can I go? You know, I just graduated high school. And he said, no. Why not? We have church the next morning. And it, it boggled my mind. What is one Sunday that I don't go to church? I was, I was a teenager. I was on fire for the gospel already. I was, I was in a good place. I was enjoying my faith. What was one Sunday going to do? And all I wanted was to be able to tell my dad, you know what? I can do what I want. I, I, I have the keys to the house. I didn't have a car, but I could get a ride. I, I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do, even in a good place with God. As a young teenager, but his decision to not allow me was not out of a position of, I own you, I dominate you. It was out of a positioning to put, it was in a position to position me where I needed to be, which was in the place of God. Parents, position your children in the places of God. Position them. Don't be afraid to position your children. And we as teenagers, we, if you think back to your teenage years, you loved the independence. 
Whew. Some, some more than others. You know, we go off to college, we're no longer teenagers, we're, now we're young adults, and it gets even worse. We, 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 we think we're even more independent. We think we're wiser than our parents. We think we're never going to repeat their mistakes. And man, does that hit us like a bag of bricks. The enemy wants to convince you that you can be fully independent from God. But this is the funny thing. Satan wanted his independence from God, so he rebelled against God. He decided, I can be like God. I can be like God. Oh, I can be like God. So he rebelled. He wanted to be able to, to rule and govern and say and do all that he desired. And he realized he failed. So he then took his tactic and applied it to God's creation. Because God loved his creation. So he did the same thing. You can be like God, Eve. Again, he wanted to do in her what had happened to him. The devil wants you to believe that you need to be independent from God. I don't need no man, that very common um, phrase from feminists, I don't need no man to tell me what to do. I don't need no man to buy me. I don't need no man. And, and they always say, I don't need no man until they need a man. But this, this, this rebellion of independence, independence from God means that you rely more on yourself and what you can produce over He that is the producer of all things. I mean, can we really think that we can produce more than God? <laughs> he is the beginning and He is the end. We are just along for the ride. Independence is what cost Lucifer his place with God. Lucifer was there. He was already there with God. He was an archangel. And his desire for independence costs him his place. He was removed from the presence of the Father, so he reapplied the tactic with Adam and Eve to remove them from their place. The devil wants for you to lose your place as well. And it's funny because Satan wants us to be like teenagers and young adults. He wants us to, 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 to depend on no one else but ourselves. But it's funny how God wants us to be like children. He doesn't say teenagers. Teenagers existed back then. Young adults were, they, they were a thing back then. But why Children. Why not teenagers? Why not young adults? Because children depend on their parents. Oliver depends fully on my ability to provide, my ability to pick him up, my ability to take him where he needs to go, as, as his mother. He depends fully on us. He doesn't have to convince me to provide for him. That's my responsibility, that's my pleasure. But the devil wants us to be like teenagers and young adults. I don't need anybody. But it's funny because teenagers and young adults want the independence, but they still want the resources. You think you know it all, you can do it all, but mom and dad better give me what I need 
because I'm independent. I'm entitled to all of what you have. We are seeing a spirit of entitlement possess the young generations like never before. Having them believe that what they have is not enough and they deserve to have what they desire without any effort to attain. We have kids that want the Gucci shoes, the fancy cars, but they want the parents to pay for it all. Now, funny thing is, Satan is very astute. He will allow you a measure of success to make you think you're in the right place. Oh, I can now buy the fancy things. I can own the fancy stuff. Yes, I am a success. But then the devil comes and charges. And you realize, I'm actually living in failure. But the devil will promote you and will use you and will give you and will, he will, he, he will string you on along as long as you never realize your reality. Be very mindful where your success comes from. If it comes from above, it's guaranteed. If it comes from below, it's temporary. And I see it all the time with students. As a teacher, these students, they believe that they deserve, they deserve everything without anyone telling them otherwise. What do you mean I can't use my phone whenever I want to in class? What do you mean I can't FaceTime right now? What do you mean? You can't tell me what to do. And I'm thinking it's the second week of school. These, these, these teenagers, these young adults are, are being raised to believe that they can do whatever they want because the parents are nowhere to be found, show no accountability, and are so full of everything but God that they are raising a godless generation. And that's what the enemy wants, is a godless generation rising up to wipe out the Godful generation. And we as believers and parents need to understand that unless we do something about the issue, the enemy will wipe away with us. But I'm thankful that in this church and all around the world, there are still people who are holding on, who are believing that God will be faithful, not just with them, but with their children. And they are instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And they are fearlessly teaching their children to live a fearless lifestyle. To not conform even when everybody else does it. Even if you're the only one. Even if nobody else stands with you, know that you will always be in the company of angels. That no matter what you do, where you go, in the name of the Lord, David stood in the name of the Lord God Almighty against Goliath when the whole army was at his back. His own brothers didn't even go to fight with him. But David didn't rely on his family. He didn't rely on the army. He didn't even rely on Saul nor his armor. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. Parents, Bring before the Father your children in the name of the Lord. Instruct them to be fearless. Instruct them that even if they're the only ones, 
they're on the right path. But there are people, there are people that they, they think of themselves as these hyper-spiritual beings that they don't need anyone for anything. You know, they are, these, they, they are the super-Christians. They can speak in tongues. They can preach. They know the Bible, memorized back, front cover to back cover. They know everything about God. No one can teach them. No one can mentor them. No one can do anything because they are it. They can preach fire and brimstone. And they, they, they could even baptize themselves in a bathtub and they'd still only be a wet devil. And it is time for this hyper-religiosity of a lifestyle that so many people are living today to end because the world is filling up with people that believe they're moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, but they're nothing but wet devils roaming the earth. If you are an untouchable person where no one can reach you, I got news for you. You may be nothing but a wet devil. Jesus himself relied on the Father. How can we not rely on him? How can we only rely on ourselves? Understand, if you believe that you only need yourself, you have been deceived and you are convinced that you're in success while you're actually living in failure. And one of my favorite preachers was Charles, is Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, I love this quote. The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. If you're looking to yourself and in what you can do and in your abilities, understand you're living in, you're living in failure. If you no longer need Christ, you're living in failure. I don't know a man that has committed his life to Christ that has ever said, I don't need him anymore. Just, just last night, I was laying in bed thinking, God, I can't do this without you. I've, I've been preaching for the last almost 14 years and I still can't do this without you. Sometimes, Lord, I think that, I, that I'm at the top of my game and then I realize, no, 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 I, I don't know what I'm doing. Our need for Christ should always be our greatest promotion. And I implore you today, I implore you today to need Christ more than you need yourself. Your bank account may have a couple of zeros in there today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Rely on Christ. Do it for the sake of your children or your children to come. And there's a story that I, I thought was pretty funny, a uh, true story with, with uh, Muhammad Ali. There was, he was once flying. He was, he was on a plane. He was just sitting in his plane waiting. And, you know, n- normally when I get on a plane, I don't buckle my seat until they tell me. You know, and he was there, you know, just... 
and his seatbelt was unbuckled. So the stewardess comes and says, Mr. Ali, we're about to take off. Can you please buckle your seatbelt? Thank you so much. And she walks to the back of the plane, does whatever she has to. A couple minutes pass by. She comes back and notices Mr. Ali, who still had not buckled in his seatbelt. And she said, and she says, Mr. Ali, can you please buckle your seatbelt? We need to leave, but we need to make sure you're safe. And he turns and says, look, ma'am, Superman does not need a seatbelt. And the stewardess kind of looks at him and says, Superman doesn't need a plane either. Buckle your seatbelt. We often think of ourselves as these untouchable forces, but we realize that we, we are actually not Superman. We still need guidance. We still need help. We still need to rely on Christ. We still need to rely on the community of believers. We still need to rely that God places wise leaders before us to guide us and be humble enough to accept when we need to be corrected. There's a broken and twisted mindset built into humanity that thinks that we're like Superman, that no one can tell me anything. But remember, church, independence from God means full reliance on the devil. You cannot be independent from God and rely on yourself. Because there, there, there is no gray area. It's either left or it's right. It's black or it's white. You think you're pulling, you think you can do it on your own? Fine, you're, you're really only doing it in the power of, this, of the devil, which is non-existent. It's false, it's fake. Kind of like our current government right now, but I won't get into that. And the seventh strategy of, of the devil that I want to give you this, this early afternoon is the seventh strategy of the devil is to illegitimize your identity. And I want us to go to the, to the book of Matthew here. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read a couple of things here to help us understand exactly what it is that I am talking about. Now, I hope you all have your Bibles at home. I hope you're not just watching me read to you. This is still church, even though it's behind a camera. If you, if you can't read your Bible at home, Come on. Matthew chapter 3. I hope y'all are still with us here. I don't, I don't have um, the YouTube in front of me, but I hope you're all still with us. I hope I haven't scared anybody away. Matthew chapter 3. I want to read a couple of things, and then we're going to go ahead and close this out this morning. Talking about the seventh strategy of the devil, that is to illegitimize your identity. In Matthew chapter 3, we see... Um, that Jesus, verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I need you to be baptized by you and, you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it as at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us to be, to fulfill all righteousness. So John permitted him. 
And after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and the and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him. We often leave out the lightning part, which I think is pretty important. But I won't get into the dove and the lightning. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Go with me to the book of Matthew, just couple verses down chapter 4 Matthew chapter 4 and let's read what happens here Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he then became hungry And the tempter came and said to him If you are the son of God what had just transpired a couple of verses ago? Satan attacked the very thing that God had just publicly announced. Jesus goes in to be baptized. God declares, this is my beloved messenger, preacher, Vessel? <laughs> this, yes, Jesus was all of those things, but his biggest title that even Jesus knew was that he was the Son of God. That was who Christ is. That is who Christ is, the Son of the living God. So God confirms what Jesus already was, but he needed to confirm it to remind not only Christ, but all those that this is the real identifier. He is the Son of God. And the devil comes to Jesus while Jesus was at his weakest point and does the same thing that he did with Eve. With Eve, he said, did God really say? Now, this time, the funny thing is, the devil doesn't appear as a serpent. Why? Jesus knows how to identify the devil. So the tempter, as the Bible says, the tempter approaches and says, If you are the son, not the messenger, not God. He, the devil knew that Christ was God. But why not attack him in who he was? He attacked him in his identity. At the weakest point in, in the flesh of Christ, the devil comes in to sow doubt into something that had just happened days ago. To me, it's crazy, but has it ever happened to you that, you know, you're in a service and you receive a prophetic word or you hear a message that just touches your heart or you experience worship and it impacts you and, you know, you have this amazing experience, an amazing moment of, with God and you feel that now you're ready to take on and really decide your life and out of nowhere somebody comes up to you and says, I didn't really like that service today. That guy, eh, he's not very good. I wouldn't listen much to him. The worship, eh, it was okay. I've heard better. And you're thinking, am I wrong? 
maybe, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe what I experienced, oh, you know what? It was an emotional. I was just emotional. It wasn't God. And we, 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 we have these real encounters and God shows up, but then the enemy comes in to illegitimize your experience. And all of a sudden, you're struggling with accepting that prophetic word that you received or believing the sermon you just heard or the worship you just experienced. And now you, you don't know if you believe that criticism or if it was real or if this, and, and you're struggling with this new idea of maybe this isn't real. Maybe, maybe it wasn't actually real. But I want to tell you this, church. Be careful not to play the role of Satan to those around you. Because there are people who experience God. Be very mindful to not be the one to illegitimize their identity, their experience. I may not always be the greatest preacher or I'm no prophet. I'm not the best teacher, but I believe that God uses me. Not out of a position of, I feel that I'm the greatest. No, I know that I need a lot to learn and I, and I know my limits, but I also know who called me. And for so long, for my, in, in my early days of ministry, if, if you could call it that, people would listen to me and then disregard what I would say. And for a while, it, it, it affected me because I didn't believe that God had actually called me to do what I do. And for years, I wrestled with the thought of, you know, nobody really takes me serious. What is going on? Why is this happening? And the enemy was using people to simply play the role of Satan around me. Well, it's because you need to do this. You're actually not as good as you think. Hey, maybe you should just do something else. And all of these different words would always... L- pull me and pull me and then I began to realize they're all pulling me away from God God would never send someone to to help me but by pulling me away he will always draw me closer so I began to ignore the voices that were pulling me to a to live in a position of doubt because if you're helping someone you're never there to help them by pushing them to doubt. You're supposed to always be there to help them to realize who they are and what God says about them. You're meant to reassure who they are in Christ, not who they used to be without Him. Not to sow doubt. Maybe they said, look, I know you think you're all that, but you're actually not that good of a, of, 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 of a people person. You're kind of annoying. Maybe you should just stop. What... Is that really going to allow her to grow in her gift of hospitality? No, it's going to push her to the opposite direction. But Lisette, look, hey, you, you, you are amazing in approaching people, but next time, don't be so overbearing because that kind of scares people. Take it down a notch. Let's try it this avenue. Let's do it this way. We, 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 we often want to bring people, instead of allowing them to rise to their potential, we bring them down to avoid embarrassments. But men, women of God, Do not be Satan to those around you. 
if we're called to be believers and, 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 and life should be coming from us, we should be speaking life and not death to people. Death will bring them to a position of doubt. Death will lead them to exit the atmosphere of God. But life will bring them to a position of reflection and therefore growth. But if they can't reflect because they can't get through that steel wall of criticism because that's all they receive, then they're in a position of moving towards doubt. Be mindful, parents, when you are helping your children, when you're helping friends lead to Christ. Don't, don't, don't apply the tactics of the devil that were applied to you. Read how Christ did it. Because notice, Christ didn't even engage in dialogue. Jesus didn't speak for himself. What did he use? The scriptures. How do I know this? Let's read. Uh, Verse 3, And the tempter said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus answered, Look, Satan, get away from me. You can't touch me. I am God. I will strike you down right now. Is that that what verse 4 says? He says, it is written. He doesn't even use his own ability. He uses what was already stated. He relied on what the word said, even though he was the word. When we rely on what the word says, we don't have to stool down to the level of the enemy. Stoop down to the level of the enemy. Because the the devil will state his questions with the ifs. And it's designed to make you rethink your circumstance. If you're such a good pastor, Pastor Mario, why is your church so empty? If you're such a good pastor, why don't you have thousands following you? If you're such, if, 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 if you're such a good person, why are you always alone? And all of these ifs will always come attacking you. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes. That was, and and that's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He realized in his time that even lies was already more effective than the truth. And that's how we know that society is completely flipped. When a lie has more influence than the truth. When the truth is labeled as offensive is how you know society is lost. Because now, the truth offends people. There are no 10,000 genders. There are only two genders. That's offensive. That's not inclusion. That is, and all of these triggers come out. When you speak truth, society doesn't, doesn't accept it. Our current standard of in society is based on lies for for convenience to avoid offending and if we do not turn to what god says about who we are satan will successfully illegitimize your identity not before god satan cannot restructure or reword what god says about you it's already printed it's written in stone satan does not have to convince god to change how he sees her thinks about you he has to do it to you to you 
the devil will work to illegitimize your identity before yourself. So that when you look in the mirror, you can't see past your defects. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you can only see what you've done wrong. And if he can put you in a position where you can no longer see who you are and what is written about you, he illegitimizes your identity, not before God, but before yourself. Satan cannot supersede what God says about you, and he can't even cancel it. He can't. He can't take away what Christ has bought with blood and given to us freely. He can only make you believe that you are indeed not what the Word says. That is where his power comes from. His power comes from making you believe it. God's already written it. God has already declared it. He's shown us the proof. What's the proof? Christ on the cross. Christ resurrecting. Christ giving us the opportunity to sit with him at the right hand of the Father. That is the evidence of where we are designed to be. But the enemy will do everything to convince you that what is said about you is actually not true. And therefore you are not who he says you are. You are actually who I say you are. And if he can convince you and make you believe that your identity is not son of God, then your identity becomes nullified before yourself and you will always walk in the wrong direction. Be mindful, church. There's a verse that I want to read here. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore I am a prisoner of the Lord. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You have been called. And you are called son and daughter. That is the identity that you can always rely on. Just in the same manner that I can rely that I will always be Kevin Gamas. No matter how you misspell my last name, I know where my identity is. I know who I am. I know who my father is and who my mother is. No one can take that from me no matter what they do, no matter what happens. In the same token, I know where I come from. I know who saved me. I know who restored me. I know who made me into who I am. Therefore, no one, not even the devil, can create that separation in me because I have seen it happen day after day in my lowest. My father was always there. The devil will, would, would, would corner me thinking, Kevin, you're actually not enough. Kevin, you're not good enough. Kevin, you can't do it. Kevin, no. Kevin, Kevin, no, no, no. But my father was always at my corner saying, Son, what did I say? What have I made you to be? Who have I made you to be? So church, it's not entitlement. I'm not entitled to this identity. No, I was given this identity as a gift, as you were. You were given the gift of identity. Come on. The devil will work overtime to make you believe that it doesn't apply to you because guess what? It doesn't apply to him. The devil lost all sense of relationship when he decided that he wanted to be independent from God. So he will strategize to place you in a position to end up like him. He wants you to end up like him. 
while Christ wants you to end up like him. Him meaning Christ, not, not the devil. They both want you to end up like them. But church, we have no time to lose. Have you ever heard or used the phrase, I, uh, I have to kill time, you know, when you're trying to just waste time? When you kill time, remember this. It has no resurrection. Study the strategies of Satan. Prepare yourself and prepare your family for what's to come. That is our responsibility. That is our God-given sovereign duty by the Spirit of God to prepare for what's to come. And in the name of Jesus, I bless this word, Father. I bless your word. I thank you that we were able to gather, Lord, even though it was through a camera. I believe that you speak through any means, any media, any outlet. Let all those that heard the word of the Lord this morning be touched in their spirit. Let let it empower them, God, to know that we have tools to combat the enemy who has already been defeated. Give us the wisdom, Lord, through scriptural digging to know how to combat the enemy. Give us spiritual hindsight to see the enemy's plots and ploys before our, our own lives and the lives of our children. Help us, Lord, to be crafty like Christ. To not dialogue with the defeated devil, but to confess the written word of God and everything that is in it. Let us always depend on you, Jesus. Let us never forget that it was because of what you did that we enjoy what we have. It was never our own wisdom, it was never our own ability, and it was never our own power. We did not resurrect you. It was the Father who did. And we confess this morning that we need you. Just wherever you're, you're, you're seated there this morning, church, can you just confess that you need Christ? If you can't make that confession, I, I, I eagerly implore you to get on your knees and ask for forgiveness. There's no need to beg God. God freely gives forgiveness to the repentant heart. But if you can't confess your need for Christ, repent. Because Jesus, we need you. We need you now more than ever. In a society that, does not, that no longer accepts you, we need you, Christ, to be our strength. We need you to help us endure what's to come. But we also, Lord, we bless you for the victory that we will have in Jesus' name. That at the end of all of it, it is you who comes seated on the white horse. It is you who will be glorified. Who we will sing worthy, 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 and holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. And our hearts will sing for all eternity. We thank you in the marvelous name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen and Amen. Thank you, church, for being with us. And we will see you on Wednesday. Be blessed.